This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with Barbara Bradley Haggerty, an award-winning author and journalist and a well-known NPR correspondent. In her new book, Life Reimagined, Barb draws from hundreds of interviews and masses of the latest research. She also tells the story of her own midlife career shift. Barb, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm very excited to have a chance to talk with you about a book that I love and feel a little part of, your new book, Life Reimagined. Yeah, you are a big part of it, uh, Bev, and I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I think the degree to which we had a bit of a collaboration is kind of unusual, and, and we did something that in all my coaching years I haven't done, which is have you sit in and, and really get up close to coaching. You want to describe how that happened and how it worked out for us? Yeah, yeah. It was really, really interesting. You were so good to do it for me. I had, when I was thinking about midlife career and and the choices that people have to make when they hit the middle of their career, I realized that a lot of people go through coaching, but I didn't know anything about it. And so I called up um, a source of mine, Carrie Hannon, who knows you. And she said, gosh, you know, the best coach I know is is Bev Jones. And so um, I called you up out of the blue and uh, asked if I could kind of shadow you as you coach someone. And I have to tell you, Bev, when I, um, when I first arrived that first day, it was October of 2013, and met you and Nancy Augustine, um, I was frankly skeptical that you were going to be uh-huh. able to help her. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I'm married to a college professor who's, and I know how slippery a slope it is to get tenure. And here was Nancy Augustine, an untenured professor with on a two-year contract um, at GW. And I didn't know, you know, she didn't have a prospect of getting tenure. I didn't know how on earth you were going to help her. And I mean, didn't did you think you kind of had your work cut out for you? No, I felt that things were going to go really well. What what we did, of course, is I said I couldn't have you intrude upon a, a, a client relationship I already had, but in my newsletter, I asked people to volunteer to uh, set up a little coaching arrangement. So I selected Nancy because I thought this is somebody who would be able to make a transition and feel really comfortable about it. So I, I was very confident but I've done this a lot. Yeah, yeah. I did not know what to expect, and I had a lot riding on it because I was doing both an NPR piece, and I was doing, this was a big part of my book. Um, I remember in that in that first meeting, some of the things that she said and you said really hit me between the eyes. And I, I remember holding my microphone, um, recording both of you guys, um, still as a rock, because I realized that what you all were saying kind of applied to me. So one of the things she said was, gosh, you know, Bev, I feel that time is slipping away, and I, I don't want to coast for what could be another 20 or 30 years. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that... <laughs> That, yeah, that hits home. And then she goes, and you know, I kind of feel old and tired. And I don't know if I have energy to climb the ladder anymore. And that one, you know, hit home too. And what you said was really interesting. You said, you know, maybe the fatigue isn't because you're getting older. 
Maybe it's because you feel like you're not growing anymore. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit because you're bored. And I thought, wow, that's really true of me because I love NPR. But I'd been doing NPR um, religion stories for, for about a decade at that point. And while every story is different, the way you put them together is kind of the same. And I thought, you know, maybe I need a new challenge. So this really got me to think about how I wanted to spend the next, you know, 20 years of my career. I was 54 at the time. How do I want to spend it? You know, I remember that first session, too. I think the room was really charged with the three of us there. We somehow um, connected and um, you were quiet and, and taping. But to me, it felt like as that we got to the end, you were almost vibrating in your chair. You were <laughs> leaning in and you were really intense. And I thought that, wow, um, is she always like this or has this really triggered something? I, I felt like uh, at the end, we were just like this little bundle of energy, the three of us sitting there together. Yeah, no, it was incredible. Part of it was I was truly engaged, but part of it is I was truly terrified because <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, I need to kind of do these things too. And I don't, I don't, rem- I'm sure you remember this. You got her to start brainstorming. And, and I remember one point you said, um, you know, I want you to think of yourself not as an employee, but as a brand or as an entrepreneur. You know, what's your brand? And uh, here I kind of almost dropped the microphone because I'm thinking, yes. I do not want to think of myself as a brand. But you really got her and by extension me to kind of think out of the box. And so, yeah, we were a bundle of energy. And part of it was just sheer terror on my part. Well, one of the things, of course, in coaching is that you give little assignments or you negotiate some action items so that people keep working between the sessions. And in her case, we made a list of things, networking and um, observations and um, kind of getting out there and looking at the world more broadly and also looking inside a little bit more. She did a lot of homework by the end of our process. And here's a question I've wondered about. Were you doing that homework too? Did you start networking or how how it just felt to me that you were so engaged that you must be doing something? Well, I was I was engaged. Um, at that point, what I was doing, and I was researching my book, so I was quite busy. But in the process of researching a book and doing what I ended up doing, you know, 400 interviews, you are kind of networking. Um, you're keeping your network alive, I should put it that way. But I was also beginning to think, <laughs> maybe I need to do this too. I, I, I don't know if you knew this, but at the po- that point, I was really struggling with a partially paralyzed vocal cord, and which is a really bad thing for a radio reporter oh, to have, yeah. you know. And it caused a lot of chronic pain. And what I realized was that um, part of part of the pain was probably due to the stress of, of daily and unpredictable deadlines. And so while I was doing this book, I was really exploring, is there a way for me to do, and this goes right to your coaching, is there a way for me to do what I do well, what I love doing, but tweak the script a little bit so that I'm not, I'm kind of eliminating some of the stuff that's really hard for me. So for me, that would be the really hard, unpredictable deadlines. Um, can I can I eliminate some of that, but still do what I'm really passionate about and good at? And as we went on, I realized that, yeah, you know what I love doing? I love being a journalist. I love asking questions. I love telling stories. I love having people care about big ideas, whether they want to or not, but just to get drawn into the story. 
I'm good at that. I don't have to do a daily deadline to tell those stories. I can do it through magazines or books or things like that. So during this process, I was, yes, I was doing, keeping my network alive, but I was also thinking broadly about how do I rethink the script? And that was really helpful and scary. You know, I think both of you had a, gave me a sense as we were going through the process sort of together uh, both you and Nancy went through a process of letting go of some fear. The idea of redefining yourself, as, as we talked about, as a brand or as a business or um, as an entity not integrally related to NPR, I think that was scary for you. Leaving academia and that track was scary for Nancy. But once you started working into the process, it felt like you could see the fear kind of being put aside. It's like you picked it up and moved it over a little bit. Is that how it felt for you? Yeah, no, it definitely went that way for me, too. I mean, as I watched Nancy be able to kind of unclench her fists and, you know, her fingers and, and say, okay, maybe it isn't academia, maybe it's consulting. Oh, gosh, a, a consulting gig just came my way. You know, as she began to think and relax a little bit, I I also began to do that, and I began to think, well, you know, I've got a lot of experience, and I've I've got a track record. It doesn't have to be in one particular place. Maybe there's a way to mix up my life so that I'm continuing to grow. So I I mean, I think both with Nancy and me, we we wondered if we were still growing. For me. As I mentioned, I love I love doing radio pieces. I absolutely adore it. But I wondered, is there a way that I can kind of unclench my fists and you know, and hold up my hands open, and see if I can do other types of storytelling? And it could be in a podcast, or it could be, you know, I'm about to do a TED talk. It could be um, writing books or magazine pieces. And as I began to kind of look not just at the next rung in the ladder, because you were clear, really good on that one. You said, you know, wonder if you didn't have to climb the ladder. Wonder yeah. if you looked around and realized that, that the next rung isn't actually where you need to be. You need to kind of widen your horizon. And that when I started to stop looking, when I started to stop looking at, you know, my the next rung, I began to see that there were many other ways to do exactly what I wanted to do. And I do have to admit that the hardest thing was giving up my identity as an NPR reporter uh, because I I just adore NPR and I think it's the best news organization in the world. And it's the first thing I would mention when I'd meet someone new. You know, I'm, I'm Barb Bradley Haggerty. I work at NPR. But, you know, once you get beyond that, there's a lot of benefit. You you don't you realize the kind of downside of giving up your NPR identity, but you don't realize the upside of having freedom, and that's what I discovered pretty pretty early on. Plus, if you keep your contacts like I do, I have a lot of friends at NPR. I did a six part series for NPR. I can do stories for them whenever I want. So, you know, it's not like that door is closed to me. It's just that other doors are open. Part of the thing I love about your book is that you look at all kinds of research and all those, what, 400 interviews. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, you are so intimate in the way you talk about your own journey and, and your emotions and your energy at different phases really comes through. One of the things I liked is how exuberant you were when you talked about your biking experience. And I had the sense that 
the things you were doing outside of your work life were really bringing you some relief from the tension and and kind of opening you up to new experience. Can can you tell us a little bit about how biking played into the rest of your life? Cycling absolutely changed my life. Um, Before I started cycling, I had arthritis in my right knee, which kind of brought my running career to an end. And running was really part of my identity. So when I started cycling, I really gained, I mean, I had, um, I got a lot of energy out of it, right? I got in, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life, even when I was a marathoner in my 20s. I'm in better shape now. But not, not only that, what cycling did is it kind of gave me what I call a little purpose. Because midlife is really, it's really kind of one long, long book without punctuation, right? Yeah. It's like, there's nothing to break up the monotony of, of responsibility. But when you have something like cycling, or for other people, it might be learning Spanish or a new hobby, um, getting a puppy, whatever it might be, when you have something that brings you joy and meaning, it creates punctuation in this in this long period of uh, your middle years. And so I'd get up in the morning, I'd go, okay, I'm going to do a 25 mile uh, ride today. I'm going to do intervals tomorrow. It was all to the end of competing in the Senior Olympics, but um, it gave me something to do every day. It also gave me, I mean, I had a lot of other things to do. I was researching and all of that, but it also did something else. It gave me a perspective. You know, it's so easy for us to think that our whole lives are about nothing but work or family responsibilities. But this was something that was untethered to work or family that that I could do that allowed me to come into a whole new network of friends. I've got all these new friends as a result. So it not only made me healthier, it gave me a new network of friends. It gave me little goals. It gave me kind of a little purpose in life. And it's fun. So it was enormously fun to do this. It gra- it added a huge amount to my life, and um, I'm I'm passionate about it. There's something else that I think was part of it that really came through, and part of your exuberance, and that is that you were a rookie. You were starting yes. something new, and that's important in midlife, isn't it? It is because you know in midlife, what do we do? We we get better and better at the things that we do, and we kind of narrow our focus to only those things that we're good at. And trying something new, um, like if I learned how to play guitar, I'm sure I'd bang it over, you know, the table because I'd be so frustrated. Because trying something new is hard. You're not good. You, and what this forced me to do is kind of learn like a beginner, learn how to, um, not only was I getting in shape, but I was learning kind of strategy of biking and bike handling. And, and if you're learning guitar, you know, you're learning chords, you're, you're activating your mind, you're kind of creating new cells in your hippocampus, new brain cells. I mean, all this stuff, learning, becoming, being a beginner with the goal of mastery is really, really important in your middle age and because I think it's not something that we typically do. So that was really fun for me and I found a whole nother group of people who were doing the same thing and we could go on the journey together. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Ready to advance your career while accommodating your busy schedule? Central Ohio's only Executive Master of Public Administration program for working professionals can help you. It's conducted by the Ohio University Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at the new Ohio Dublin Center campus. It's affordable and meets just three weekends per semester. 
No GRE is required for admission. For more information, visit oempa.ohio.edu. Something else I've noticed with clients who are going through career transitions is that if you can encourage them to try something new, no matter what it is, it can be totally unrelated to any other part of their life, and have them fail, and you know, those first times they're out trying to ride a bike or whatever they're doing, and then they get up and keep moving, they start to be comfortable with failure again. As a kid, we fail all the time, and we just get back up. That's right. But when we're somebody uh, like a, you know, a star at NPR who's known everywhere, it's hard to think of failure, and that makes the transition <laughs> more scary. But once you're comfortable again, it, it, it takes some of the fear out. Was, was yeah. it helpful that way? Yeah, it was. It was because, I mean, bike, bike racing is pretty scary, and I'm still a little bit scared to do it. I am a lot scared to do it. But when you overcome that fear and you get through the race and you do pretty well and you get better and better and better, what you realize is, you know, transfer it to another area. Gosh, you know, it's kind of hard to reach out to the Washington Post or the Atlantic or somewhere like that. You know, I've only been I've been a radio reporter for 19 years. I don't know if I, you know, am any good anymore at print. But you kind of go, okay, you know, why not? What have I got to lose? And really, there's nothing to lose. I mean, there really is nothing. I'm not saying that that you make outrageous reaches, but you should make fairly difficult reaches. And actually, this is something that you and I talked to in the course of coaching when you were coaching Nancy. Um, you talked about uh, doing going beyond your comfort zone. You know, once you've done all the stuff that's easy to do, you've called the people you know, and networked with them or done this or that, that's kind of within your comfort zone. Then you have to go out and do things that are hard. You have to make the difficult phone call. Yeah. And I remember that's actually how I got my job with NPR, because I had been at the Christian Science Monitor for um, for a, a little more than a decade and realized that kind of I, I really wanted to work at NPR. And so I applied for a job that was completely ridiculous for me, managing editor. I mean, I was like 34 years old. And they interviewed me for it. And they basically, the VP for news kind of laughed at me uh -huh. and he said, you don't want to be in management. You're still a reporter. And I said, no, 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 I really, really want to work here. And he said, I'm not giving you this job. But a few weeks later, I get a phone call asking me to come in and do temporary editing on the foreign desk. And soon I was reporting and then 19, you know, I was there for 19 years. Well, it was that reach out of my comfort zone you know, getting beyond the fear that actually brought me into the place that I truly, truly loved. And I think biking had the same effect on me. You just reach out of your comfort zone. And if you can do it, do it in one area, you can do it in another. And one of the ways you learn to reach out that you touched upon in the book is that you manage the thoughts in your head so they aren't so debilitating. So uh, if you're going to do a scary ride, you kind of talk back to yourself. Is that something that you practiced doing that carried over to your big career shift? Yeah, it did. You know, I, I mean, one of the big insights I got from this book was, you know, my mother was right. 
My mom always used to tell us as kids, your thinking is your experience. And what she meant by that is that how you think about a certain situation will be how you experience it. So even something as debilitating as, you know, you, you get a cancer diagnosis, how you think about that, whether you bring friends around you, if you think positively, and I'm not just saying, you know, oh, whistle a happy tune, but if you do, if you kind of do the hard emotional work, how you experience that diagnosis will be better than someone who's in denial, for example, or falls into a depression. And and actually studies show that you recover more quickly from cancer if you are thinking more positively about it and surrounding you with people who are supportive. Okay, so so your thinking is your experience. And as I went through this, this identity shift, because that's what it was, shifting out of NPR, I realized that I couldn't think of myself as losing NPR. I had to think of myself as gaining a whole new sphere of, of not only listeners, but re- readers, that, that I had something to offer them, that I'd spent a lifetime, a career time, you know, 35 years, really try to, trying to hone. And that um, what I was doing was trying to offer a gift um, to people, offer kind of you know, people don't have time to do the research for to write a whole book about midlife, but I did. And so let me research this and tell you what I find. And I realized that this was a shift I made where it wasn't about so much me, but it was about the ideas I was presenting in the in the book or the magazine articles or the NPR series. It was about the ideas. It wasn't about me. And those ideas I felt really good about. I mean, what I did essentially is I shifted from being worried about me and my identity and how I was viewed by the world. And I shifted toward the power of the ideas that I was investigating and the power of the stories and how that might help people, not only other people, but myself. And that's why I made it a personal book, because I figured people would need to know that I was going through these struggles too, and this is how I got through them. And so I did kind of, I did kind of get through the fear by shifting away from, you know, the focus on me to shifting on the focus on ideas. Your book, though, is so authentic and um, self-revealing in a a wonderful (laughs) way for for readers. What's it like to have this book out there in the public now, a bestseller, everybody reading? Has it shifted the way you think when you go to speak to a group or something that you've made yourself vulnerable in this way? You know, I I mean, that's really, it's really interesting. What people want, what the people want is vulnerability. They do want to know, have you been through this or are you just talking, you know, theoretically? So one of the areas where people really related was the brains, the chapter on brains, you know, the midlife brain, because everyone thinks that they're like losing all of their brain cells and they're becoming stupid after age 45, right? And so I went through this period of trying to kind of... um, uh, do brain training and all of that stuff. And, and you saw my vulnerability and, and heard it if you heard the NPR story. And it was, it was excruciating. And people really related to that because they, they were like, gosh, you know what? We hear all these studies, we read about these studies or hear about this clinical stuff, but you're going through, you have the same fears that I had. I have. And, and you, you face them down and wow, the news is really, really good. And so what I find is that, that, People, people want to know that they've got someone to go on the journey with them. And when I, when I give talks, um, 
they're very vulnerable talks. I mean, I don't, I don't talk about stuff that's inappropriate. I don't talk about the, you know, innermost feelings, you know, the last time I had a fight with my husband. I don't, (laughs) I don't talk about those things. But I talk about things that are very, very personal to me, the struggles I have, the fears I have, and the victories. And, and this is how you might consider, you know, going down this path and having a victory as well. And so um, it's very, I think it's really important to be vulnerable. I think that's what people, people relate to. And I think it's one of the only ways that they'll try to do these things um, because they see that someone else has tackled these fears, done them, and come out on the other side. One of my favorite parts of the book is when you talk about your road trip. You're talking about your marriage and, and, and making a marriage vital in midlife. And, and what you do is you uh, rent a, a big RV. RV. And it, to me, the road trip sounded pretty awful. It was. But what I loved is how even though uh, the adventures were sometimes not what you were hoping for, you had fun with it and, and you shared it. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? And well, Yeah, we had a blast. I mean, on our first date, um, I, I was married fairly late. I was 43, Devin was 40. And on our first date, Devin talked about how he'd always wanted to rent an RV and go across the country. And I thought, I thought, you know, not telling him this, I thought, I can think of few things as pointless or, bore, or as boring <laughs> as renting an RV. But when I heard the um, the research about uh, how important novelty is in marriage, that you don't fall into a rut, that you try, you know, you try to do new things. You go to new restaurants. You do new. You go on a hike instead of going to a movie. You do, you know, you go for a ballroom dancing or you know lesson or something like that. You do something new. That's hugely important. Um, it really enlivens a marriage. And so when I heard about this, I thought, oh no, I now I have to cry, Uncle, and we have to go on an RV trip because I knew he still wanted to do it. And you're absolutely right. It rained. It was the rainiest two weeks in the in the southeastern United States, like since they've kept weather reports, right? Oh, no. I mean, and the thing about it is, um, the way we set it up was we invited our really close friends to come with us, Jack and Beth. Jack is a cyclist, just as I am. And so the whole idea was Jack and I would bike between 30 and 50 miles a day. And Beth and Devin and my dog, Sandra Day, our dog, Sandra Day, would would ride in the RV and pick us up at the end of our ride. Well, it's pouring every single day. You know, we don't know how to, we don't know how to turn on, like everything's going wrong with, we don't know how to run this RV. We don't know how to turn on the air conditioning or the generator or like, you know, black water versus gray water. We don't know any of this stuff. And we had a ball. And one of the reasons we had a ball is because it was all new. It was all out of our comfort zones. I mean, Devin's a PhD, a college professor. Jack and Beth are lawyers. I'm a pointy-headed uh, you know, NPR correspondent. We don't know how to do this stuff. We had to f- kind of feel our way along. And we had so much fun. So it was novelty. It was friendship. It was you know, getting through kind of the ridiculous things that we had to get through. We had a ball. One of the things you say in the concluding part of the book, you give some of your tips or suggestions for really navigating midlife. And you say part of the process is is choosing what matters most. And it felt like that was a sort of an exercise and like putting aside some of the little obnoxious developments and figuring out what mattered on that trip is yes and it was not only that trip um it's it's actually one of the one of the real insights about midlife and this is 
supported by research. Um, what people do at midlife, what happy people do at midlife, is they begin to focus on what's important and what's within their control as opposed to what is not in their control. So I can't control whether I win a Pulitzer Prize or a, you know, a Peabody Award. Um, <clears throat> people can't control really whether they become a CEO or successfully launch you know, a startup. You can't control that absolutely. But what you can, you can't control whether you win an Oscar. You know, you can't control these things. But what you can control are two things. One is your relationships, the tenor of your relationships. And the other thing is finding a cause or a purpose that gives you meaning and joy. So that happy people pivot and think about those two things, relationships and causes or purposes that give them joy. And what I realized is that, you know, there are relationships that sometimes fall by the wayside because I was spending all of my time, not just at work, but outside of work, thinking about work, right? I'm all, you yeah. know, always on the iPhone, always on the internet. Oh, I need to watch out for this and that. And, you know, gosh, do I need to call so-and-so about to schedule a, a, a an interview for tomorrow. And sometimes that's necessary, but a lot of times it really, really is not necessary. So how do I focus on the relationships that matter to me? And the other thing, and this is the biking thing or volunteering or whatever, but finding something that brings you meaning and joy, this long term, that that is not about your short term ping of, you know, dopamine rush when you get a piece on all things considered today. It's about something larger. Are you contributing to a cause that's important to you? Are you investing in people outside of yourself? Are you are you just doing things that bring meaning and joy? And so when I began to kind of, when I heard about that research, I really tried to make a shift in my life and focus on the things that matter, things that I control which are the tenor of my relationships and causes or purposes that I think are important and that bring meaning and joy. So you've made a transition. It feels like it's going immensely well. <laughs> yes, it's still scary. <laughs> what, what, how would you describe your work, your career today, and, and how do you see it unfolding over the next few years? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. What, what, um, it it, it continue, it's always going to be scary until you kind of make your first million or something like that but my i think my life is so great i cannot tell you how great my life is and part of the reason it's great is i'm doing a things that i really feel like i'm good at and love which is reporting and writing asking questions telling stories but also i am doing a variety of things so it's not just you know my pieces for National Public Radio, which I can also still do, but it's also magazine pieces. I'm um, I'm looking for my next book. I'm doing a TED Talk. I'm doing speeches, which I, I really like doing public speaking. I really, really enjoy it. I love getting the input from the audience. I, I, really, I really enjoy that. And so I'm doing a variety of things. But they're they're a little bit, and they're a little bit different from what I did all along. And I'm also kind of setting my my sight on something a little bit different. So, uh, and it's within the realm of, of writing, but all my life, what I've been able to do are long, uh, short and long pieces for the radio, now for magazine, things like that. My book was really um, a lot of essentially magazine pieces put together with a through line of me. Um, my story it kind of stitched it all together. But now I'm thinking, okay, what's the next big challenge? And the next big challenge for me is finding a really engaging, large story where I can tell 
tell a book length story, um, a narrative arc over the, you know, the course of 280 pages over the course of, you know, 10 podcasts, something like that. But that is really, it doesn't sound different, but it is because it's a different mindset when you're thinking about a big one big narrative story it's a different mindset so what what I'm doing is I'm doing a lot of really interesting things um, but I'm also kind of looking toward that next big goal that I'm hoping to do in a book or or a serial type podcast so it's um, I just feel immensely lucky Well, I've loved having a close view of your journey, and I think all of your readers will get the same sense of having a close view of your journey, and we're all going to want to see what's going to happen next. It feels like, to me, writing a big, integrated book, one story sounds scary. I have a book that's 50 chapters, so it's a whole lot of little things. Uh, So I I will be uh, intrigued and excited to, to continue to read your work and you know i'll keep you posted bev because you've been pretty integral to this whole this whole shift not only in the uh, lives of the people you coach but also in my life so you know you and i are we live down the street from each other practically so we'll stay in touch on this well i'm looking forward to it thank you so much for talking with me today it's always wonderful to hear your exuberance and i always leave feeling excited and wanting to to go out and try something new myself. Well, thanks, Bev. You know, you're a big part of it. I really had a great time today. Thanks so much. Today, we've been talking with Barbara Bradley Haggerty, author of Life Reimagined, The Science, Art, and Opportunity of Midlife. And here's today's tip. If you feel like you're in a slump at work, A good strategy is to learn something new. If you explore some different facet of your work or develop a new expertise, it could bring you an energy boost. When you're in a learning mode, you make new connections and enjoy fresh insights. When you allow yourself to be a beginner, even if the new thing has nothing to do with work, life can feel more interesting and you may get more done. podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer, and I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO.